The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, all you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Okay, let's get things started. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by WinBet. This is the college football week six betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Are you still in mourning from your <laughs> hogs, or are you have you moved on to Ole Miss? We're going to have a conversation about how coaches and their teams respond after getting blown out. I'll save that for later, but hey, I'm happy. It's not Georgia week. That loss didn't deter us from an Alabama win away from going to the SEC championship game. Woo pig suey. Woo pig suey. It's still wide open, right? Just a saving win away from making our dreams come true. By the way, we have all this talk about Arkansas. My team in the, my backyard, well, besides Iowa, I got my Iowa shirt on. Uh, Kentucky, obviously a big Kentucky fan here for my wife and her business. Uh, they're the they're not defeated. They're still undefeated in the SEC. They are mm-hmm. two wins away from facing your Hogs in the SEC championship. Can you can you believe that uh, these two programs would have to concentrate on a, on a football SEC championship and not a not a basketball game? Right. Both both basketball teams for Arkansas and Kentucky have literally have a literal chance of going to the Final Four. So uh, don't put Arkansas in the same sentence as Kentucky basketball. You're a baseball school. We're a basketball <laughs> school, and we're both going to meet in the SEC championship. Uh, we have a lot to get to, so let's dive right in, and we'll start where we always start with our segment, Look Ahead or Look Away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? All right, so this is where we... Look at next week's slate and try and determine if there's any reason to account for a potential look ahead or a team might not be fully focused, or maybe they just don't want to show anything. Maybe they pull their starters a little sooner than usual, take their foot off the gas if they have a big game on deck. So let's start with TCU minus one and a half at Texas Tech. TCU's probably been, I mean, it's been a weird year. There's been many teams that I'm just shocked are as bad as they are, and then many teams that I'm shocked at how good they are. TCU's one of the most disappointing teams in the country to me so far, even though they got a bit unlucky against Texas. But they're coming off that Texas home loss. 
And now they go to Lubbock, where there might be some wins, for uh, a night game before they head to Oklahoma. So, you know, going to Texas Tech, sandwiched in between Oklahoma and Texas, does Gary Patterson get this team ready to go? Does Texas Tech, who's coming off – look, they got blasted by Texas, and then they went up to Morgantown and had an extremely impressive win – considering, you know, they're playing with their backup quarterback. Shuck is out for the year with an injury. And they didn't have their best receiver as Ukonomo, who didn't travel with the team for that game. Impressive win. They won by three. Or didn't dominate the box score, but they got the win. So now they come home. They face TCU. I'm leaning TCU here. Their defense has been so bad. And I've been trying to figure out what's going on with the defense. They obviously lost some talent, especially on the back end at safety. But last week against Texas, they played a little better. And their best corner, Noah Daniels, he returned from injury. But he only played 34 of 78 snaps. He's likely back full, 100% go. Kari Coleman, one of their best DNs, he only played 23 of 78 snaps back from injury. This is one of the reasons I bet TCU. I thought they were going to be playing a lot more snaps than they did. He's full go for this week. Corey Bethley, their nose tackle, he's likely back this week. Uh, Three of their most important defensive players – And then TJ Carter, their safety, got ejected in the first quarter against Texas. That was huge because Clark and McHugh and their other safeties were out. So Carter will obviously come back, could be healthier at safety. So uh, all in all, I think this TCU defense will be much healthier, perform at an even better level than we saw last week, which is, you know, going against a pretty good Texas offense, which we'll talk about here in a second. So uh, I'm looking at TCU here because I do think that the defense, Patterson will figure it out with these guys back. Um, what are your thoughts here? Well, these two teams, you know, they know each other very, very well. And when I say that, I mean, their head coaches, Matt Wells was the quarterback at Utah state when Gary Patterson was the secondary coach. So, and you know, and you talk about Sonny Cumbie, the offensive coordinator, at Texas tech, he just spent the last seven years at TCU, same role underneath Gary Patterson. The game is projected right at our action network uh, projection of TCU minus two. And the total of 63 gives a little bit of value to the under, but do you really trust these two defenses? I mean, you mentioned the guys that are coming back, but both defenses are 118th, 125th and tackling, uh, you know, before laying an under ticket, which it keeps bouncing around 62, 50, 59 and a half, 61, uh, you know, before you do that, you have to consider that TCU is dead last in defensive passing uh, expected points. And Texas Tech's defense is 107th in standard down success rate where Max Duggan is going to have a field day. There is a path here with the way Texas Tech performs inside standard downs where Max Duggan is going to be able to do whatever he wants. The positive take from Tyler Shug entry is that Henry Columbia knows this playbook and he knows this offense. He's a transfer in from Utah State. He's been with Matt Wells the entire time. And, you know, TCU is 94th in pass rush, so Columbia's really not going to be pressured that much. So I don't think it's really that big of a drop-off to Columbia. There's a big special teams gap here. Texas Tech is 15th. TCU is 95th. Uh, I, I just go back to the fact that TCU fumbled that ball three times. They've put the ball on the carpet only six times so far this season, so half of them came last week against Texas. I'm really focusing more on the total. Uh, you know, key totals are really 61 and 63. I, I want to go over on this. I think scoring could happen all day because Max Duggan is going to be able to get max available yards here. I want the over in this game, especially considering both these teams will allow explosive plays. All right, let's move on to our second game here at Winbet. East Carolina is an 11-point dog at UCF over under 66. ECU is a team 
that continues to perplex me, right? I mean, we know, we know that they're usually having offensive explosion in November with Holton Allers, but sometimes they look so good. Sometimes they look like they've never played an offensive snap in their lives. Last weekend, you got the good ECU. They apt. I mean, what ha- what has happened to Tulane's defense? They almost beat o- Oklahoma in the opener, and then, I mean, ECU had six hundred and twelve total yards. They did it on the ground too, three hundred and ten rushing yards. I mean, I, over seven yards per carry against Tulane. So everything worked for that offense last week in a uh, 52-29 victory. But the look at here is not for ECU. It's for UCF who has hit, hit a little bit of a rough stretch here, right? So they lost against Louisville in that thriller with that interception late. And then on the last play of the game, Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. And when, you know, they were like trying laterals in nonsense, he's out, serious injury. And then you have Mikey Keene. You see, I've had a bye to get ready for Navy. Navy ends up winning that game outright as two touchdown underdogs. I think they outscored him 17-0 in the fourth quarter. Keen was eh, okay. Not what you would expect for a UCF offense. I mean, he's 16 to 26, the freshman, 178 yards, two touchdowns against Navy, your UCF quarterback. So I think this UCF team just might take an enormous step back. Uh, maybe Gus is going to go way more to like a rushing attack, like you used to see him at Auburn um, with this UCF team. But there's a lot of injuries to work to be concerned about with UCF. Their starting running back is still out. Um, their starting wide receiver is questionable. So are you going to get – and the reason this is a look-at spot is, look, they've lost a couple in a row. they got a fresh – so I don't think that they're going to be looking at it. But they got Cincinnati next week. You're going to ruin Cincinnati's season. So does Gus get them ready here? Do you trust Mikey Keene? Are you going back to the, to the Knights? This looks like a stay away to me. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I was actually questioning who had the look at here because, you know, UCF's already taken a couple losses and, and ECU is undefeated in conference play with wins over, you know, Marshall, Tulane. They should have beaten South Carolina. Uh, they've had bad turnover luck against App State. Uh, East Carolina, they go into a bye week after this, so it's a really big game for them. Yeah, you're right. Gus Mazan may be looking ahead to the to the biggest game on their schedule that's left, which is Cincinnati. But a number of factors are playing into this number because I projected up at 13. Uh, but it's down. I'm with, you know, Dylan Gabriel, collarbone, lost for the season. My, Mikey Keene, you mentioned him being in. But Isaiah Bowser is a big piece. Uh, he is questionable with the knee. That's the running back that kind of powers the Central Florida offense. And, you know, as for the total, Central Florida is still ran plays at 22 seconds per play without Dylan Gabriel. I think that was the most important takeaway that I wanted to find is, did they slow it down for Mikey Keene? And the answer is no. Uh, that tempo rake of 16th is still in play. Uh, even when they played against Navy. So, you know, the UCF defense has just been horrendous outside the top 100 and Havoc near dead last in finishing drives and 14 red zone attempts by opponents of Central Florida. 11 have been touchdowns. That's near dead last in the nation. And 16 to 17 red zone scores by Central Florida are touchdowns. So let me repeat that. You Central Florida is allowing touchdowns by everybody they face. And the 17 red zone attempts that they've had have turned into 16 touchdowns. So that's why I'm kind of looking at wanting to take the over this game because Central Florida is just one of those teams that there's going to be a lot of points up on the board and taking over here. If I can get it to fall just a little bit more, if you're going to go over 66 and 65 are each in top 10 of key numbers. But if you're live betting, you want to look for an over 62 and you want to look at an under 73. Those are the biggest two of the biggest key numbers in college football for totals. I don't know if I could trust Keen enough. And then 
Gus came out and said both Bowser and then Jalen Robinson, who's the best receivers guy, thousand yards receiving last year. He didn't play last week, didn't travel with the team. They, Gus says they're both week to week. So, I mean, you lost Gabriel, you're starting running back, your best receiver. It's pretty rough times right now for UCFs, but I would keep mm-hmm. an eye out for their injury statuses. All right, next game here. I wanted to get some Adazio talk in here. <laughs> What's better than this? Guys being dudes. So let's talk San Jose State, a two-and-a-half-point underdog at WinBet. Uh, they're traveling to Colorado State. Uh, look, San Jose State, they've been kind of a mess lately. Are they going to get up for this game before San Diego State is still undefeated? I could see this kind of being a little flat. And they've just been flat. I mean, their offense, this is one of my better calls of the year. I said this team is going to miss their two best receivers significantly and then the offense has been a mess and now it looks like Starkle's going to be out again he's listed in the or part of the depth chart with two other quarterbacks and then Nick Nash who was playing the receiver that's who Starkle was mainly thrown to most of the time he's going to play quarterback (laughs) again San Jose State that barely escaped New Mexico State last week it's been an ugly run here uh, after that dream run last year Colorado State can we back the Rams here under a field goal favorite what are your thoughts (sighs) Colorado State expecting a sellout crowd for homecoming at Canvas Stadium. This is why Adazio went there, baby. That Colorado (laughs) pride. That's right. And he's uh, he'll tell you about it. But I mean, come on, San Jose State, they've already been on the road three times. They've been to USC. They had a trip to the island. They they went to Western Michigan. So I think the biggest factor in this game is really an elevation of 5000 feet. Uh, That may be the biggest issue here for San Jose State. Not really that there's a homecoming crowd. Spartans throw 57 percent on snaps. That's key because the Colorado State rush D is what powers them. They are one of the best in the nation. First in success rate, fourth in line yards. Their coverage rank is where you can attack them, 87th. San Jose State's going to be able to get the ball downfield through the air. It's just a question of who's going to throw the ball. As for you know Colorado State on the offensive side, they're one of the worst at creating explosive plays. They're almost dead last in offensive finishing drives. How they kept it within the number against Iowa is a story for another, I guess, the Iowa segment. But they're 125th in standard down success rate. They can't move the chains whatsoever. I think the Spartans are going to be a team that not only I'm backing, but they may end up in our money line round robin parlay on the BBOC live show on Saturday. Gross. I want nothing to do with the Spartans here. <laughs> uh, McBride, just Colorado State, just throw it to McBride, that tight end. All right. Um, not a ton of look ahead spots this week. And so let's get right in to what you've all been waiting for, and that's the marquee matchups of the week. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week six. All right, let's start with the Red River rivalry shootout, whatever you want to call it, between Oklahoma and Texas. Texas. At Wimbet, three and a half point underdog over under 63 and a half. I got some good intel today and I went digging, digging deep on this game. And I have a few nuggets, but I know that you wrote this game up. So, and I saw a play come through on Oklahoma. Uh, so I'm curious getting your thoughts first. I don't think we can go on past history of red rivalry because, you know, that was the Tom Herman era where he can go raw, raw, we're the underdog. And it was just so predictable that if you can get a live number between zero and 10, you know, for OU in Texas, that you were going to cash both tickets. And why uh, would you ever say that? 
Last year I went 0 24 <laughs> plus six through plus seven and a half because it went to triple overtime because this Oklahoma kicker who never misses misses a 30 yarder and it goes to the third overtime. Then huh. Oklahoma's, oh um, my gosh, uh, that Myster- was traumatized. The mysterious 30 seconds of clock that is just orbiting around in some football space right now. I did, this is the worst circus. I'm glad there's actually a state fair going on outside the building because it was a circus on the inside. Listen, yeah, to your point, seven of the last eight have been decided by one possession. Listen, I, I went into this game, I think on Sunday, you know, when, when all the numbers were being made and I was looking, I was thinking, I got to bet Texas. I got to bet Texas because I've just become such a big Texas fan with Casey Thompson in there. And Spencer Rattler continues struggling to throw the ball downfield. Last year in short season, he had 57 passes beyond 20 yards. He logged 26 big-time throws in just four turnover-worthy plays. He looked every bit of a Heisman part last year. But what's happened so far in 2021? Just 12 attempts over 20 yards. No big time throws, four turnover worthy plays. Well, I mean, what's going on here? Are we holding back in the playbook? There's absolutely no way. We've already played conference games against Kansas State. Is he hurt? If he's hurt, there's been no word about it whatsoever. But this is not the same quarterback that was on the field last year. So what's interesting is that all this is happening while he's in a clean pocket. It's not like he's been pressured either. He's just been absolutely terrible. And the offensive line has provided him max protection. So, you know, Rattler has one of the lowest pressure rates thanks to the offensive line. But, you know, if he's hurt, I have to wonder if that's just been kind of kept secret until maybe this game. Now, if he is hurt, that Norman crowd chanting, we want Caleb, we want Caleb, that they might get their wish. Caleb Williams was the second highest recruit out of this latest recruiting class behind Quinn Ewers, the kid that skipped high school and went to Ohio State. And if you watch any film of Caleb Williams, he's a true dual threat, uh, can just do his own read and take off at any time. He is, if you want a comparison, it's Max Dug- It's Max Duggan. And, you know, Max Duggan was able to do anything that he wanted against his Texas defense using that zone read, besides, you know, fumbling the ball a bunch of times. So if we're going to get Caleb Williams, this is a perfect spot to bring him out considering what TCU just did. As for the Texas offense, I love them. The explosiveness is kicked up with Casey Thompson. Uh, there was none for Hudson Card, no explosive drives against Rice and Arkansas. And, you know, the important thing is from a success rate perspective. Available yards is how many yards you get on your drive. So if you start at the 20, you could possibly get 80. And I just preface that by saying Alabama last year was so historically unbelievable. They had gained 90% of available yards every single game. The national average is like 44%. The Longhorns posted 90% of available yards over Texas Tech and Rice the last two games. Uh, Sark's got this offense going. The, I mean, this is very Alabama-like. Methodical drives, 10 plays, mix in a few explosives, and just use Bajon Robinson just to run everybody over. The real handicap in this game comes down to the defenses of both teams. Oklahoma is best in the nation in the pass rush. They're seventh in line yards against running plays. They're 16th in rushing success rate, which is important against Bajon Robinson. And the Texas defense is just spiraling downward, like out of control each game. 115th in defending rush explosiveness. That's great for Kennedy Brooks and for Eric Grayer finally kicking it up in the running game. 124th in passing success rate. That's great news for Spencer Rattler, who won't be pressured because the Longhorns are outside the top 100 in pass rate. 
Pete Kwiatkowski was brought in just to call this same scheme. He's calling the same scheme that he called in Washington. The blitz rate is a lot lower, but they're just, they're not getting anything home. They're not able to defend the pass. They're not getting to the quarterback. So OU is going to be able to get whatever they want on offense. They're going to get their points. I, I don't have any doubt about that, but these teams are both top 15 offensively in finishing drives and they're both 85th or lower in defensive finishing drives. It's going to be a score fest. OU at minus three, that is a play based on the fact that Texas's defense is not just worse than OU. I mean, OU's defense is a huge factor in this. Nick Benito is going to get a plenty of pressure. This OU defense is one of the best from a havoc rate perspective. They're the reason that I made the play on OU minus three. If we get Caleb Williams in there over Spencer Rattler, I'd play it again for another couple of units. So I don't disagree with you. I went into this week and I said, all right, this is my handicap on the game. I said, Texas's offense is mainly just feed. You know, it's all through Bijan, right? Like he's in the running for a Heisman. But I, I knew how elite this Oklahoma run defense is. I mean, last week, Deuce Vaughn had 15 carries for 50 yards. Look at any metric. The run defense has been great. Their defensive line is great. Linebackers are very good against the run. The weakness in the Oklahoma defense is their secondary. You can attack this team. you got to attack them downfield. you got to attack them with explosive plays. I don't know if Texas is going to be able to do that consistently enough to keep up with Oklahoma because, look, they've been running more 12 personnel, as you talked about. They're trying mm-hmm. to run it. And it's like, who are the receivers you really trust on this Texas offense right now to keep up with Oklahoma? And it's like Whittington, and then there are some questions. So I, I don't know if this is the right Texas offense. I mean, last last year was 53-45. It was Elling, Ellinger, he ran it 23 times, just <laughs> lots of scrambles and then short passes. I think Whittington had like 12 catches for like 60 yards, and, and Ellinger just made that happen, just like willed the Texas up and down the field. It's not like they were killing them with explosive passing plays. So then I said to myself, okay, well, I'm, I'm worried if Texas can keep up, but why am I saying that? Is this Oklahoma offense broken? I mean, they haven't covered against an FBS team this year. They're, all their games are within one possession. They barely beat Tulane, who's given up like 900 yards to everybody. I mean, you saw what ECU just did on the ground. I said they ran for over 300 yards. Oklahoma ran for 100 yards on like 30 carries against Tulane. They, they haven't been able to run the ball. Lincoln Riley's entire offense is off the run. What is going on here? Why, why is this Oklahoma always elite offense broken? Well, it turns out that Lincoln Riley wanted to change the entire blocking schemes for the offensive line coming into this year. You know, a lot of zone schemes wanted to try more man schemes, and it was not working at all. And it was throwing the entire offense off. Now, there's some talent drop-off in the interior with the run block, but all of the run blocking was messed up, and they couldn't get anything right. Last week, he said, fuck it, we're going back to what we used to do. And then you saw against a really good Kansas State run defense, everything started to fall into place. There was a couple more downfield passes. So I I think that's exactly what happened. Didn't tell from uh, someone um, that I will keep anonymous. So it makes great. sense. And yeah. Rattler is now 37 of 41, 37 of his last 41. The running game looked a little better last week. Now I'm saying, okay, if the offense is ready to be unleashed, this they will score on this Texas defense, which is just a mess by every single metric across the board. And part of it is it's the third defensive coordinator in three years, right? Yeah. Like Herman switched to. So, like, there's just Orlando. no identity, and they're yeah. trying to figure – they went from Orlando to Ash – Kukowski. So they're just still trying to figure themselves out. So yeah, I think that this 
Oklahoma offense is ready to explode. This is the perfect defense to do it against. They match up well with Bijan, and I don't think the Texas passing attack can keep up. Boomer. Can you go back to your source and find out what the hell is wrong with Spencer Rattler? Because I'm ready for Caleb Williams. I'm going to be in this house chanting for Caleb Williams. I mean, the, uh, the kid's passing game, is it, it's not there. There's nothing deep. He's been elite everywhere else, though. So, and that's all you might need against Texas. But the running game should get going. Keep an eye out for it. All right, let's move on to our second marquee game of the day. And it's the game everyone wants to know about here. Let's yeah. go Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern. Penn State, Iowa at Winbet. Iowa's a one-point favorite over under 41. It's an Iowa podcast, baby. I got my Iowa shirt on. I got an Iowa ticket in my pocket. Getting invitations on Twitter now to come to Iowa City because I tweeted my picture of myself out. So I am Team Hawkeyes. I've done a 180 on this team. Not a complete 180, but they've been fortunate this year in certain circumstances. And I went over this earlier in the week. The defense is elite. We know that. They're always going to be on the positive side of these little things, right? The special teams, field position, turnover margin. But it was just a little extreme for a while. And my biggest problem with them is that this top five team is that they had no offense whatsoever. This is a team that was down to Colorado State at the half. This is, I mean, just dreadful offense. I had them ranked outside the top 100. Well, last week, I said this on the recap episode. This is, the, this is what I needed to see, Iowa. They came out throwing on first downs. It was a great game plan. That was the missing link. They're going to have to score at some point. You can't keep relying on getting turnovers. I know that you'll probably end up on the right side of them. Um, but I saw enough from the offensive play calling to have faith in them this week against Penn State. It's a really interesting game in the, fa- in the sense that Clifford is not doing anything to turn the ball over. Right. And that's what Iowa is relying on. I'll tell you that. And I'll let you break in here with your thoughts and then I'll come back in. I'll tell you that I also played the under number one, there's 15 to 20 mile an hour wins. So I think that that hurts Penn state a little more than Iowa projected at 37, eight, like right around 37, 38, which is crazy. I don't know what the Wisconsin Iowa total is going to be, but with the wind, I'm like at 37, 38. There's going to be some wins which will impact the game. And these neither of these defenses gives up anything explosive. No explosive plays. So you're going to have to drive down the field and put together drives against these defenses. And that's going to be hard work. The difference in this game to me is I think I, Iowa, little coaching advantage, will, you know, obviously at home, will probably come out a little on top on the special teams, maybe force that key turnover. By the way, two great punters win this game with huge legs. Helps the under even more. But I, I think that those small margins, and then on top of that, I think it's Iowa's run game, which will have ultimately have more success than Penn State's, which, who cannot run the ball. Penn State can't run the ball at all. So, I mean, I don't think that – Clifford is going to be able to sustain drives and he's been great. And with his short passing, he's not making turnover worthy throws, but this is a different animal at, at Kinnick. So uh, I'm siding with Iowa. I'm a believer. And I got some under let's go. Do not let me down. Do not make me come on here on Monday and slander the great state of Iowa. Go Hawks. 
Well, listen, everybody, I'm not anti Hawkeyes. All right. My, I have two uncles that graduated from the university of Iowa. My wife is from Esterville. My this sounds like a setup for an anti-Hawkeyes. Uh, my my, my in-laws are from there. My grandfather spent his entire life in Fort Dodge. I, Iowa, I was the very first child in my whole entire family born in the South. So, uh, you know, this, this is a, a program that if I didn't have the Razorbacks, I'd, I'd be cheering for all the time. Kinnick's going to be an amazing scene for these two defenses that have shaped the college football landscape. They're going to shape the college football playoff picture here after this game. Uh, one of these teams is going to be number three after it's all said and done. Uh, the total continues to trend down, and I think market entry is really important. You hear Stucky talk about how he got a 42, and he makes it around 37. The biggest key numbers in totals in the top 10 are 41, 44, and 45. So if you're going to take any, you know, just be aware that those are the biggest numbers. So when I see a 40 and a half at the board, I know that there are guys out there that say it's time to buy the over because 41 is the biggest key. I think one of the top three out there. Uh, so you can and see it's even more key because it's a lower scoring game. So the points become even more important at that point with, with two extremely opportunistic defenses right now. We could just get, come on this podcast. I haven't listened to any other podcast this week, but I'm sure people come on and say, Iowa football is Iowa football. They have great punting and Maryland had seven turnovers and defensive scores and 306 hit in your whatever. Let's give some credit to the Iowa offense against Maryland beat the national average in two plus first down rate. They had an explosive drive, 7% higher national average uh, and 34 passing downs. They were higher in success rate, 7% more than the national average in passing downs. Spencer Petrus has a cannon. And I think one of the big problems that we had, we talked about this in the summer, is he doesn't know his targets. He doesn't know his wide receivers. The targets he's getting more familiar with, he's starting to hit deeper passes on, and that is really key for this Iowa offense. And let's not forget the one thing about this offense that is like not talked about is that Spencer Peters is a big dude, and his center is going to be uh, NFL first-round pick, Tyler Linderbaum. Sean Clifford finally got burned in the turn turnover-worthy play department last week. He logged two of them against Indiana. It wasn't really a smooth game. He still, you know, he had a 3-to-1 T-to-INT ratio in that game, but he finally started making some mistakes. And trust me, I'm looking at Talia Tagovailoa from Maryland, who had no turnover-worthy plays on the season, get blasted by this Iowa defense. I mean, this feels like a zero. You look at the numbers, it feels like a zero to zero. Once we get to 40 and a half, I'm kind of a buyer of the over. I do project this at 45. I do think Iowa's offense is actually moving the ball. And I know that Spencer Petrus has a cannon to get past that secondary. He could absolutely throw it down the field. And I think there's going to be some crazy plays that come out of nowhere. And I think we can count on the defense to actually score. I think we can count on special teams to get a score. It's just... So these are things that you can't really handicap, but they're expected in these games, kind of like, you know, trying to handicap army. So I project the number of 45. There is a 40 and a half out there on the board. I'm a buyer of the over at 40 and a half. I, I, I think defense and special teams are going to add to the scoreboard. If you're going to take an under like stuck did fine. 42, I, I would stop at 42 with 41 being key. I'm looking over. I haven't made a decision on the side. I don't know if I'm coming in on Iowa. I can't see myself backing Penn State. I guess we'll have to watch the action app, maybe watch the live show. But over is where I'm looking since this is down to 40 and a half. I would not buy it at 41 or 42, though, period. Kinnick, the special teams, and then the fact that Penn State can't run the ball and they're going to try to throw it, good luck. It's a no-fly zone in Iowa City, baby. It's an Iowa podcast. Always has been, always will be. (laughs) Unless Iowa doesn't win this weekend, then all bets are off.
on what kind of podcast it'll be come Monday. All right, let's move on to our third marquee game of the weekend. And let's talk a little, I mean, I'm tired of talking about this team, but it's uh, yep. a game that I'm looking forward to watching. Notre Dame at Virginia Tech at WinBet. Virginia Tech's a one-point underdog over under 47 and a half. Look, I'll make this quick. I'm on to Virginia Tech plus one. It's one of my favorite bets yep. of the weekend. Number one, it's a great spot. So Virginia Tech's coming off of a bye, you know, Saturday night in Blacksburg, catching a Notre Dame team, you know, coming off of physical, I mean, physical games, a couple of them in a row. And they basically just had their college football playoff dreams, aspirations dashed, right? Like they're not – it's over for them. So now you're going to Virginia Tech. And when I look at this game, I mean, I mean, I don't know how many times I have to talk about this Notre Dame team. And they could have lost to Florida State. They could have lost to Toledo. I mean, it goes on and on and on. They got outgamed by Purdue. Um, and they, they just were smoking mirrors, smoking mirrors, smoking mirrors. And then finally they got humbled by Cincinnati. They, they can't run the ball at all. You can't. can't stop themselves. So it's just in constant have to throw. Well, Virginia Tech's defense has been excellent this year uh, against the pass. That has been their strength. I think they're number two in pass success rate. So can't run it. And you're going to try to throw on Virginia Tech's secondary, which I think has been one of their biggest surprises this year. You're in a bad situational spot. I think Burmeister can do enough. The running game can do enough against this, this Notre Dame defensive line. And it's just – Raw and not that impressed with. Vatek finds a way here. Give me the Hokies. Enter Sandman. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Uh, I am actually waiting on uh, one of my runners in a state to uh, let me know that the the plus one has been purchased because uh, there is a market full of pick and full of minus ones out there, which I expect that number to gravitate to. And I'm just, I'll, I'll be short about this. I mean, I project this game as a pick. I project a total of 49, so there's not much from a market perspective, but there is a 30% chance of rain uh, and some pretty bad field conditions expected at Lane Stadium. A lot of that is right now forecasted to be in the first half. So, you know, Notre Dame has not been able to establish the run at all, like Stuck said. And listen, I want them to lose. I'm tired of talking about them every week on the podcast. I got under nine. I'd like to catch that big bet. Uh, But, you know, Notre Dame is still bottom 10 in Havoc. Uh, they're outside the top 100 explosive plays. What are you going to do if there's sloppy, wet conditions? You're not going to be able to run the ball, and you're not going to be able to throw the ball. So, you know, the Hokies have rebounded in defensive areas compared to what's happened the last couple of years. They're 17th in defensive havoc, very respectable. Uh, they're third in passing success rate, and they're 26th in tackling. So when Notre Dame does go to the air, assuming it's not coming down raining, uh, Virginia Tech has the defense that's built to stop the pass, and there's no arm tackling with these guys. You can't get explosive plays because it only takes one-on-one tackling. I think it's important to get that plus one if you can. So Virginia Tech for me in this game, I'm waiting on a first half under, probably going to come in Friday night or maybe early, early Saturday morning when I get up because I want to know exactly when that rain is coming down. I do think that that will keep some scoring down, especially with Notre Dame's capabilities. So first half under for me, but I'm waiting for the, for the hourly forecast to firm up. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to our final marquee game of the weekend. We, people, my friends in Lexington, we have Kentucky in the marquee games of the weekend. Undefeated <laughs> Kentucky at home against LSU, a favorite, not in basketball and football. Kentucky minus three at Winbet over under 51. This LSU team I haven't been impressed with. I don't think mm-hmm. Kentucky is as good as their record. And it's a team that almost lost to Chattanooga. Their defense has been really strong. This LSU team, they can't run the ball. That's why if they, they almost blew a couple leads, too. Like, they can't – What once they get up in, like, the second half, this is 
keep this in mind. If LSU's up in the second half, look for a live battle Kentucky, look for maybe Kentucky second half if LSU's up because LSU can't put a game away because they can't run it at all. And we've seen that happen twice this year. Mississippi State almost came back. Uh, this Kentucky offense, I still don't fully trust it. The LSU defensive line is playing well. They just haven't – they've been close to getting home. I think they're – you'll see some of that this week. One of Kentucky's best receivers is out and Josh Ali, which I think is important. I think this spread is about right. I may look Kentucky second half if they're down. I think the player is the under, under 51. I think it's another classic Kentucky home grinder. But I saw you come through with a little uh, go Tigers. Yeah. Little sissy blue shirts could play come through. Hey, hey, bring your ass on. Bring your ass on, you little sissy blue shirt. Uh, this might be my first bet on LSU all season. It might be my last one too. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I've had a lot of negativity towards LSU, but I don't know if there's a better week six buy low sell high spot on the board. Kentucky had such a long winless streak against Florida. It's just spanned generations that anytime that they get a win like this over the Gators, it's just, it's such an epic event. And now you have to first win, first win in 1980 uh, in Lexington, against Florida since 1986. And yeah, yeah, we were partying last weekend and uh, we're hopefully going to be partying again this weekend. Win or lose, we will be partying. When the Royals won the World Series the first time in 30 years, I took a week of work off. Like I knew I was going to, I mean, it's that important when, when teams are able to win like that. Now you have to reproduce that same energy against an LSU team that I think is pretty much in desperation mode. They hung toe-to-toe with Auburn, not only just lost that game, but they've probably lost Derek Stingley for probably the rest of the season, considering his NFL draft prospects. Kentucky's going to have to overcome this hangover and face an LSUD that is fourth against rush explosiveness. They're still recovering from early season mistakes that got some of their success numbers down. Uh, They're now up to 30th in line yards. That's good news against a Kentucky offense that runs 60% of the time. So LSU's defense on the line mainly is improving against the run. Uh, and that one-dimensional offense of LSU, I, I mean, I was just hammering on them last week. My best bet was Auburn. But that may play into their favor this week. LSU is, is like I said, one-dimensional, pass-only event. Uh, they're 130th in rushing success rate, dead last in running the ball against Auburn, 22 rushes, 49 pass attempts. I expect that gap to continue to you know, go out. There's going to be way more passing attempts than there are runnings. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, uh, Jack Besh, Kayshawn Booty, those are great weapons for quarterback Max Johnson, who's very comfortable with both of them. Kentucky prides itself in eliminating explosive plays from their opponent. They do that really well. The defense is 15th in standard downs and 5th in passing downs explosiveness. They don't allow things to get past them. Great safeties. They run a 3-3-5 defense that blitzes at a very healthy 24% rate. Uh, And the Wildcats, they can take chances and go at the quarterback and at the same time prevent the big play. And that's what makes a great defense. But Kentucky's defense is 90th in passing success rate. And they're 20th against pass explosiveness. So what that means is Max Johnson is going to be able to dink and dunk and slant pass his way down the field. So when that happens, LSU is going to get into scoring position. And that's been a major strength for LSU. They're 11th in finishing drives. Highlighted, I can't even believe this when I saw this, highlighted by the fact they're number one in the country in red zone scoring. 14 attempts in the red zone, 14 conversions with nine touchdowns and five field goals. LSU is going to move the ball, dink and dunk Mississippi State style, hit their two guys, and they're going to convert their scoring opportunities. I mean, they're a perfect 14 of 14 in the red zone. So 
There's major advantages in special teams here for the Tigers too. Let's not discount that. So I made a small half unit LSU play in the first half. I don't know if Kentucky can get up after that win. And then I took full game at the three because there's just these advantages, this dink and dunk and the, what they can do in the red zone. I think they're going to be able to take advantage of Kentucky here. So go Tigers. And if they don't cover it, uh, I'm done with you, Edo. I'm done. No more betting on LSU football this year. No, there will be no celebrating to beat Arkansas. They haven't beaten anybody in a long time. There's no question about that. Sissy blue shirts. That's a fair handicap. Well stated. All right. Before we continue on here, get to the rundown and cover uh, a number of games. A quick reminder to our listeners, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for you guys this season. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. $1,000. So take advantage of this win bet offer. Just click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, let's move on to the rundown. And we didn't put this game in the marquee matchups because Bodog Jim has not earned it yet. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Uh, Michigan fans have been trolling me for that winning grammar. So you don't get in the market games. We're going to talk about you here. Michigan at Nebraska. B- Michigan and Nebraska, these teams, historic program, have only met 10 times in their history. Do you know that in 2012 is the only time that Michigan has ever played in Memorial Stadium. You know what happened that day? An unranked Nebraska team in prime time beat a run-heavy Michigan team. The opening spread was a field goal. You know the quarterback was for Nebraska? A guy named Martinez, Taylor Martinez. Um, that was the last time that Michigan visited Nebraska. Obviously meaningless, but just thought it was eerie uh, when I was going down rabbit holes. Yeah, Michigan's off to an undefeated start. Cake schedule at home to start. Bodog Jim has it under control. They go to Wisconsin. They showed some things. I mean, you have to give credit to the defense. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, for, they're, they're able to generate a lot of pressure. They're playing a lot better. Some of the, rece- some of the receivers stepped up last week. I like Harbaugh's aggressiveness. Going forward on fourth down a couple times. They were throwing more. Uh, you know, there's still some questions at quarterback, but were there, there isn't any questions. It's in the mistakes department. This is a team that's not turning it over. Yeah, McNamara, I think, has gone eight or nine games without a turnover. This is a team that's playing well in special teams. They're doing a lot of the little things right. That's one of my concerns here for Nebraska, because Nebraska's not. I mean, every single game, they have special teams mistakes. They Mm -hmm. have penalties. Just shoot themselves in the foot. Go look at the special teams rankings for these teams. Nebraska's like 128, 129, 127, 126. I mean, if you look at some of the like f- football outsiders ranks, special teams, and Nebraska's 128th, Michigan's second. So those little things could be a difference here. McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy, who some Michigan fans, I mean, it's their quarterback of the future. He's come in and, like, provided them with a spark. Like, he, he runs it a little bit, and then he throws. So he's kind of a wild card in there. But 
people, you have to start to respect the black shirts defense. And I'll make a case for this Nebraska defense, which has been playing out of its mind, out of its mind since that opening loss against Illinois. I mean, look, they only allowed seven points over the previous six quarters against a pair of big 10 opponents. They pitched a shutout against Michigan state, only about 15 total net yards, no first downs. And they beat, they beat Northwestern by 49 last week over their past four games against FBS teams. We'll throw out Fordham. Their defense has only allowed an average of 11 points per game. Oklahoma, the only team to get over 13, they got 21 throwing out special teams touchdowns. So, you know, Nelson and Doman. I mean, this defense is legit. The defensive line is playing really well. The run defense is playing really well. That's the key here to me. The run defense has just looked tremendous against this Michigan team that's still run heavy. I like the town on the Nebraska secondary. Hasn't really lived up to it so far this year, but I think they can handle their own. I, so I think this Nebraska team is up for the challenge in a raucous environment. They've shown it over the last four weeks. I mean, they've covered five games in a row. People still don't believe in them because they had that Illinois game embedded in their head. It was everyone watching. It was the first game of the college football year. Michigan, all of a sudden, everyone believes in them because they beat Graham Mertz. And no, we, <laughs> this is an indictment on Mertz. We saw it with Notre Dame, and then the next week they get humbled by Cincy. I think the same thing happens here. I like some of the things that Michigan is doing. They're playing smart. So they're not going to – If Nebraska could easily dumb themselves out of this game. But I think Adrian Martinez – the shakeup along the offensive line. People aren't talking about that. Last week against Northwestern, they moved uh, Prochaska to left tackle, the freshman. He was awesome. You know, they got Bryce Bernhardt and, and Ben Piper out of there, who were awful. Then they moved Newley to left guard. They moved T- Turner Cochran, who hasn't been great, a freshman, to right tackle. That shakeup just – everything looked great last week. So I think that the offensive line will look better here. Adrian Martinez – it's going to be up to him. I think the game is going to be up to him if he can make enough plays. He's going to make enough plays in that read option to attack this Michigan defense that struggled. They've talked about this with their eye discipline against Rutgers in the second half when Rutgers was running some of the same stuff. Well, Rutgers does it at the JV level. This is yeah. Nebraska runs that stuff at the pro level. So I make this closer to a pick. I'm I and I, I don't I'm not hating on what Michigan has done. I think they're over, overrated. It's just the name. Oh, they're undefeated. Look what they did to Wisconsin. That was just about Wisconsin. And then they were at home. They get behind here on the road. They haven't been there. They've been up. They've gotten a lead in every single game, and they have not trailed yet. Give me the three and the hook. I've already taken it with Corn. I think they pull off this upset. They finally beat a ranked team. Haven't done that yeah. in a very long time. Uh, what do you think here? Uh, I'm with you on three and the hook, but uh, I can tell you, I can guarantee you they will not be in our Moneyline round robin on the live show on BBOC because I am tired of this Nebraska team getting so close, choking at the end, a la Michigan State. Like, we were lucky that we got the cover there. Nebraska's going to play a full game worthy enough of winning, but are they, are they going to have, like, one mistake that always keeps them from getting that win? So, yes. I will take the three and a half and no, I will not make this in the money line. And I mean, come on, look at, look at Michigan, who, who they have played. I understand. I mean, they're running the ball to 71% clip. The big news in this game is that Nebraska's 10th and defensive finishing drives. 
So even if Michigan is able to move the ball, Nebraska has been one of the best teams in the nation at eliminating teams from getting points on the board when they get into scoring position. I think that is a key, key element here. I expect a low total. If you look at Michigan's defense, and yes, this comes against a bunch of directional schools, but yeah, they're ninth in finishing drives on defense also. They're extremely highly ranked on defense and not allowing points to get on the board. They haven't seen an Adrian Martinez. He's playing cleaner games. Uh, I don't know what has changed. Maybe it's Scott Frost's attitude with the kids, but it is starting to show on the field. Uh, Nebraska all the way from here. And what should be a really slow game? I mean, plays per minute for Michigan, 103rd. Nebraska's 50th in tempo. It's not going to be a very fast game. It's, it's, it's going to be Nebraska winning because of explosive plays by Adrian Martinez. I completely agree. But I wouldn't be shocked when Nebraska pisses this away. Yeah. Frost has to get this. I mean, even look at the field goal kicker. Their field goal kicker is 5 of 10 with four misses under 40. Moody for Michigan has been great. I think he's eight of nine or nine of 10, but it sounds yeah. easy. Just Nebraska don't make dumb mistakes, but that's yeah. what they've been doing. And Michigan give Harbaugh credit. They haven't been making any mistakes. They haven't been turning the ball over at all. Um, so maybe there's some regression coming in that department. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on. This is the, first, the longest we've gone without talking about Arkansas, but not, no longer in the marquee games. Kentucky's in there now, buddy. Uh <laughs> Arkansas, Ole Miss, Arkansas at Ole Miss. Both these teams off disappointing losses last week. And this line's been floating around between five and a half and six and six and a half and six and five and a half. This is a rematch of one of the weirdest games of 2020 when Matt Corral, it was like the last bad Matt Corral game. Like, yeah, he had six picks against Arkansas last year. And they, had a, they still had a chance to win it at the end somehow, I think, right? <laughs> Which was pretty wild. I think the million-dollar question here, I think there's two, the two million-dollar questions, is <laughs> does Arkansas's offense get back on track against an obviously a suspect Ole Miss defense? It's playing better, but they're just not preventing – they're just not – they're just trying not to give up explosive plays. And does Matt Corral and Lane, do they bounce back here against this Arkansas defense or – is it more of the same, and is it Barry Odom confusing the shit out of Matt Corral into throwing six picks? So what do you see here? Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Yeah, well, first off, I don't, the number got up to seven. I said, this is ridiculous. So that I bought that, and I know it's come back down to five. It's a game projected at four and a half. But let's let's tell a little story. Let's step back from the numbers, and let's – I'm not building narrative here. I'm telling the truth about these two head coaches. Your team is a reflection of your head coach. Tom Herman was a prime example of that. Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, their identity extends to the team. That's just how it works in college football. And if you're a head coach that can't control his emotions – that will snowball down to your team. If you're a coach that knows to pick himself up out of the dirt, brush yourself off and get back to work, that shows on the team. So let's start with Sam Pittman. Since he started at Arkansas, he was shut out last week, you know, really bad loss to Georgia, didn't get any points on the board. So let's review what's happened when the Razorbacks have lost under Sam Pittman. In 2020, they lost 37 to 10 in the opener to Georgia. The next week as 18-point underdogs, they beat Mississippi State. Uh, They had a game stolen from them by SEC refs against Auburn last year. What happened the next week? They beat Ole Miss 33 to 21 as underdogs. 
uh, it came up with a brilliant defensive plan and beat Ole Miss. This team absolutely responds anytime they've faced adversity. They want that Georgia game behind them. What about Lane Kiffin? Takes a loss in a huge heavyweight battle against Nick Saban last season in a game where it looked like Alabama was on the ropes. What happened the next week? They lost as a 12-point favorite to Arkansas. I mentioned that. But following a loss to the Razorbacks, Ole Miss lost again to Auburn, an Auburn team that fired their head coach. Eventually, Vandy in South Carolina hit the schedule next, so it really kind of covered that up. But this is a pattern with Kiffin. 2019 at Florida Atlantic, opening loss to Ohio State by 24. No big deal. It's Ohio State. But then you go and play UCF and you lose by 34. What happened the week after that? They barely beat Ball State. They barely beat Ball State. And I mean, this, I went back to 2018. This shit was happening in 2018. And you are a reflection of your head coach when you have to go, when you suffer and you have adversity. And in that department, away from the spreadsheet and all the numbers, Arkansas has a huge check mark here. So, you know, getting back to this is KJ Jefferson's home state. And he mentioned that every day of practice this week. This is a really big deal to him. And he is amped up for this. The entire Razorback team wants to get this Georgia game behind them. They have huge advantages in the running game. They're 27th in rushing success rate. They're going against an Ole Miss defense. It's 111th in that same category. That four-headed monster back there with Raheem, Rocket, Dominic Johnson, you name Traylon Smith, they're going to go wild. They're going to go crazy. They're going to get the yards that they want. Plus, Ole Miss is 90th in tackling. Good luck with your arm tackles against this or against a quarterback that's weighing around 280 these days. So there's no doubt that this Ole Miss offense can be explosive in all areas. Stucky's right. Barry Odom designed a game plan where I'm going to rush three, I'm going to drop eight, and we're going to see if you can figure it out, Matt Corral. And he couldn't figure it out. But that makes me wonder, if Barry, is Barry Odom going to do the same thing with his defense? Is he going to drop eight and make Matt Corral pick on how he's going to beat him? Arkansas is number one in the nation in preventing big plays, and the defense is second in the nation in passing down success rate, which means when Matt Corral gets into the third and long, it's going to be a problem. That's where Barry Odom absolutely have stuff dialed up for you. And the second Matt Corral figures that out, Barry Odom's going to switch it up and take something else away. And that little cat and mouse game is going to happen all game long between Kiffin and Barry Odom, who are very familiar with each other on the field. So I project Arkansas at four. I was happy to get seven. I would take five. This is a team that responds. Arkansas is going to win this game. I'll take the points. I'll lay the money line. Colin on his hocks. Can't disagree with anything that he said there. Nor do I want to. We're very passionate, which we like, and I, I don't want to get in his way then. A couple other ones I wanted to bring up here. By the way, I am so happy. I project Alabama. We talked about this earlier in the week. Minus 17 and 17, minus 17.7. And this line's at 18 mm-hmm. at Texas A&M. I think I've dropped Texas A&M uh, 10, 11 points from uh, where they were preseason. Please tell me you're not <laughs> backing Calzada here. This is a pure <laughs> so- pass for me, by the way. So god awful. Are you passing on this officially? Like you're not going to make a play in this? Because I have a theory. I can't. I mean, unless it goes to 21, I'll play Texas A&M. If it goes under 14, I'll play Alabama. That's yeah. It. I mean, the numbers are right. Jimbo's covered two of the past seven against Saban here in this series, but Calzada's accuracy issues are just a monster problem. And I don't think it could be fixed through a couple practices. Are you kidding me? Who gives a shit? We got Zach Calzada. Calzada absolutely can't hit the broad side of a barn, right? It, uh, the, the wide receiver could be the size of a, of a transformer. He, could, he couldn't hit anybody. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is Alabama going to do in this game? And I say that because, yes, you beat Ole Miss, you shut them out, but you also ran Brian Robinson 36 times. Does Nick Saban decide, I'm going to light you up in the first quarter and then I'm going to play 
Notre Dame semifinal football and keep you at an arm length away at two scores. So don't ask. I know you would like to some kind of way extract something out of this pie that's not there. It's not there. And then you want people to respond to it. Does he decide to come out and let Bryce Young jump all over this Texas A&M defense from the get-go? And I'm talking Mechie, everybody else downfield, get a 14-21 point lead, and then just sit on it the rest of the game. Because Brian Robinson running 36 times and now he's a little bit dinged up and there's a couple of other injuries out there, they need a game where they can spend three quarters just shuffling in twos and threes, right? And so I just would not be surprised if they get down there to Texas A&M and, and, you know, Mike Elko's got this four, two, five plan and, and Saban says, forget it. We're just going deep. Saban may change up the formula because last week was a ground show ground and pound. Keep the Ole Miss field team off the field. You don't have to do that against Zach Calzada. You're not scared of that offense, putting up a bunch of points on you. So first half right now is at 10 and a half for Alabama, Alabama minus 10 and a half. I'd like to see a 10. There is some money coming in on Texas A&M for the full game. I, Good luck to you people. That's not going to be me. Uh, I would like to see that first half line come down to 10. And I might put a first half bet in here, a first quarter bet in also, because I'm searching for things from Saban. I think they want to get off to a fast start and they need to get guys healthy because you just ran Brian Robinson 36 times and you have to have him for the rest of the season to win the SEC. Why did you push yourself? Yeah, I mean, Alabama first half is just free, 29 and 11 against the spread since 2018. <laughs> uh, just, right. just an ATM machine. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that. So maybe Texas A&M or the under worth a look in the second half. Uh, if you wanted to bet Texas A&M, maybe it's like that. Remember Jimbo got in the back door against Clemson? I think I had them then. Clemson and Alabama are always a 17 and a half point spread. 17 and a half point favorite and, against Texas and then it's And then it's always a 24 point gap. 24 Jimbo, point game. And Jimbo's going tempo with one minute left. I'm just betting the first half and I'm not even going to watch Jimbo's little bullshit attempt with the one minute left in the game. Hey, don't just be a Support. You know what I'm saying? There's no reason to be nasty. Amazing. Another SEC game here that we haven't talked about is Georgia-Auburn. Georgia 15-point favorite at win bet. This game is at Auburn, over under 46-and-a-half. We still don't know if JT Daniels is going to play. Might be Stetson Bennett. I don't know. Bo Nick season in full effect. He was great in that comeback mode, just scrambling, making plays happen. Bo Nick season in full effect. I just don't think, I don't know if this how this Auburn offense is going to consistently move the ball against Georgia. That's my handicap. And I wanted the backbone next season, but, but might be on the sidelines for this. How about you? I had this conversation with a couple of our friends in the industry, and it's like, why would you decide that now is the time to buy Georgia? You should have bought Georgia preseason. Should have bought them before Clemson. You should have bought them after Clemson. You should have bought them before last week. Are we getting to the saturation point with Georgia in the market? It's a number that I make around 12. So when I saw 16 and a half come out, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to push this money over the counter. And if I get burned, I get burned. But I know that this is the point where, uh, you know, odds makers know that we're at a point where they can get any kind of money they want on a Georgia line. And that's exactly where they are. And so, I, you know, I put a write-up out on actionnetwork.com. I would suggest everybody, if you want a complete detailed breakdown about what's going on with Bo Nix, I think it's extremely interesting. Stuck that this line started at 19. It was around 18 against Arkansas last week. And then when you and I started the live show, I was actually watching a live feed of JT Daniels on the field warming up. And once he came off the field, the line only moved like two and a half points. So is JT Daniels only two and a half points better than Stetson Bennett? Well, the reason is, is because they ran, I, I don't have the numbers of firm. I think they ran like 50 times and, and Stetson Bennett only threw 11 times. 
And so that's what Georgia's going to do. They're going to line up. You're not going to throw to a secondary on Auburn that has Roger McCreary and Smoke Monday. You're not going to let Stetson Bennett do that. You're just going to line up. You're going to bring your defensive lineman in. You're going to put seven 300-pounders on the offensive line, and you're going to try to run Auburn over. Now, that's good news for a big inflated spread on Auburn. I'm with you. Now you're explaining. I'm looking at my – I was looking at my wrong – I had a wrong projection pulling in. I'm at, like, uh, between 11 and 12 with that better. Yeah. It's it's too high. So, I mean, I – War Eagle, Bo Nix season, baby. I'm going to put a bet in. Bo Nix season in full effect. It can Bo Nix score, though. Home home Nix. And and you have to wonder if James Cook and Zamir White are going to get a ton of carries because Todd Munkin wants to avoid letting Stetson Bennett throw it down the field. Auburn is 16th in rushing success rate on defense. They play a different defense in Arkansas. They might have some success stopping the run. And this is still a Derek Mason, former Vandy head coach. If you don't think that he doesn't know how to defend, like, I mean, I'm not saying successfully, but he knows how to set up a game plate against Georgia. And listen, Tank Bigsby isn't the only back for Auburn. Jerquez Hunter is now averaging 4.9 yards after carry. That's better than Tank. He's putting up better than Tank numbers after contact. He's created 18 missed tackles. So at least they have a two-headed monster back there. Uh, It's not a completely one-dimensional offense. Arkansas was. I mean, I hate to say it, but KJ's not the passer that Bo Nix is. God, I say that out loud. I said that out loud on a recording. KJ (laughs) Jefferson's not the passer. What Bo Nix did against LSU, I don't think KJ could pull off. So I do like the Auburn number. I would stop buying at 14 and a half. Uh, yeah. But I would I would be as patient as possible. Get as get as many points as you can with this because Georgia is national championship elite. I'll give you two, let's to each take two minutes uh, and just run down the board. If you have any other games you want to mention, um, I'll start here. I'm against you here. I played Navy. Don't care who they're playing. Catching 14. I love SMU. I took it blindly. I played Zappy Hour. Bailey Zappy. I would play that three or below against Meet Meet. New Mexico State, I'd eat 31 or better. This is a pure fade of the Nevada spot. Nevada finally beat Boise. I think they're going to be flat as hell here. This is going to be 30 degrees at kick. It's going to be cold. I think they're just going to come out. It's going to be an ugly start. New Mexico State's offense has actually been pretty good What Johnson is under center. Uh, We'll have the round robin on the live show. That's all I got. There's a lot of teams on a buy this week. Got anything else you want to add? Yeah, Duke's going to beat Georgia Tech. Uh, there's good Georgia Tech. There's bad Georgia Tech. And Duke is actually putting some offense together. Uh, Duke is an underdog at four. I think they're going to win the game outright. Uh, wrote up Utah USC over at Action Network. If you don't mind going and checking it out, I think the big key takeaway from that story is that now that Clay Helton has been fired and now that the AD, Mike Bone, has essentially – I'm saying this out loud. The AD, I think, has influence on the offensive play calling – because Kadan Slovis, instead of throwing past 20 yards on like 20% of his passes, it's now 40%. Kadan Slovis, like every pass is over 20 yards. He's bombing right now. And if Utah decides they want to stick in that same defense that they always get burned by against air raids, they're going to get burned. So I like the over in the Utah-USC game, considering the fact USC doesn't have any handcuffs on them. There's, they're done with this dink and dunk passing game. They're going deep, and it's shown in the last two games. I know we're going to get to our stink of the week. Uh, Oregon State, Washington State line almost made it there. I'm not really sure how Oregon State is that short, nor do I know why there's a ton of short money on Washington State. But I can tell you as somebody that you know can read the market, Wazoo may be in our plans for our BBOC money line round robin. All right. He's mentioned it. 
before we get to, well, let's give me some trash and some stink. Before we get to our trash man segment and the toilet bowls this week, we have to go to the stink of the week. Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. And talk some minor nation. We got a call from minor <laughs> nation who said, all you got to do is bet minor nation. We're talking minor nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. UTEP two point favorites at Southern Miss, lowly Southern Miss, who lost their starting quarterback. Yeah. It's crazy to say, like, oh, UTEP is a favorite as a stinky line, but uh, this one has some smell to it. UTEP is a favorite on the road. Just say it out loud and see how it feels, right, in a conference game. That doesn't feel normal. I get that Southern Miss quarterback situation is a big negative. I get that the offense doesn't have a single redeeming quality other than Frank Gore Jr. running the ball. They're top 40 in rush explosiveness thanks to Frank Gore Jr., so they do have that. But what does UTEP do? They have a 65% rush rate, and Southern Miss's defense is 20th in line yards and 20th in rushing success rate on defense. That's UTEP's bread and butter is running the ball, and Southern Miss can stop it. So the Eagles are top 40 in, in, in defensive finishing drives, which means if UTEP does get down past the 40-yard line, they're going to have issues getting points on the board. I'm waiting on it. There's two and a halves out there. I'll take a three. I'll happily take a three. This line stinks. How are the Miners' favorites on the road? In conference play. That's ridiculous. Minor Nation is going to be mad at you. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our Trash Man segment. The Trash Man pick of the week. I'm the Trash Man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage. And you know it. Totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. That it? That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. It's a good one this week. We have two toilet oh bowls. Let's start. I wrote this game up. I went really in depth on both teams. And wrote like 1,500 words on UConn, UMass. Uh, UMass is hosting UConn. UMass is a three and a half point home underdog in this game. These two teams have, if you remove when they played each other, they've each lost 16 games in a row. They're each one in 20 in their last 21 games. Just ugly, 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 ugly. UConn actually beat. UMass in 2019, and then UMass beat UConn in 2018. Both road teams won. If you look at some of the just weird teams, UConn has had a coaching change, and then they went, you know, Zergi Otis, a quarterback, then Krajewski, then they found this kid, Fomachan, who was running the ball a little bit, having some success, and he got hurt of Andy. Then they went back to Krajewski, who could run a little bit, not the most efficient passer. He's back at quarterback now with Fomachan hurt. They have all freshman receivers. Um, the D line is pretty good against the run for who they are. The secondary is awful. UMass, Tyler Lytle, a grad transfer from Colorado. He gets hurt in the first game. Then they go to Brady Olson, a true freshman. He's struggled, but, and look, UConn's looked much more like a competent team lately. They've had three straight covers, but they've had a much easier schedule than UMass. By some metrics, UMass is in a top 10 hardest schedule in the country this year. So yep. all their numbers are ugly, but Brady Olson, I think, is going to just be so relieved to face this UConn defense this week. He's faced some good defenses, and he struggled, as you would imagine, but he played Eastern Michigan, better defense than UConn, and he put up some good numbers in that game. 
BC playing a lot of backups, but they put up 28 points. So this is his fifth game as a true freshman. I think he can do some things. Rico Arnold, the Charlotte transfer. Uh, I know K-Ron Adams is out for the other running back. I don't care. He's been worse than Ellis Merriweather. Now, there's no depth. If he gets hurt, it's like walk-ons at running back. But it's a hard game to cap because it's like which bad passing offense is going to have more success against the bad passing defense. And then this game, regardless, will probably be decided by one of these teams blocking a punt or snapping a punt over their head. So I, I'm right around a pick. I've upgraded UConn some. I, I'd give you the three and a half with UMass at home. Minivan, baby. 100% agree. For everything that you've had to say, all I'll add on is that uh, UMass was starting to have big passing plays. They were flashing a little bit of explosiveness through the air. Then they faced Coastal and Toledo. They just absolutely blew them out of the water. But those two teams are respectively supposed to win their conference. They played Pitt, and I mean, they've had a tough schedule. And BC, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, UConn peaked last week against Vandy. This is a UMass, I think this UMass team, Walt Bell says, this is our time. His comments after practice yesterday were, we've cleaned up all of our mistakes from the first couple games. We have found something and we will be our best self ever on Saturday. I'm behind it. I'm on all the way. UMass plus three and a half. Let's do it. Uh, The other game is, you want to talk about Stinky. If you told me this before the year, that Bowling Green, would be a 14 and a half point favorite at home against Akron and Akron team that beat them last year, 31 to three. We were on Akron over under 45 and a half. This Bowling Green defense needs to be talked about more. By the way, we always used to trash Brian Van Gorder. How bad is Brian Van Gorder? He was the defensive coordinator <laughs> at Bowling Green last year. Now he's a defensive coordinator at some high school, but we have to give credit to Eric Lewis, the defensive coordinator ex-cornerbacks coach. I dug into this guy last night. This guy was at Georgia State in 2015 and 2016, and their pass defense was top 10 in the nation out of nowhere for two years. I, I Just elite. And then, I, did, like, I, I don't know why this guy doesn't get more credit. His dad is Sherman Lewis, the longtime coordinator in the NFL in the 90s. So I, I don't know what's going this defense, if I remove any priors, because last year's the trash defense, the top 10 defense in the country this year by their metrics this year. This is a team that played Minnesota. Minnesota, a Big Ten team, and the Tanner Morgan went, what, three of eight for 50 yards? And they won as 30-point underdogs. Then they played Kent State. High-flying offense, couldn't do anything. I mean, this defense... They have a bunch of transfers in the secondary that are all working out. They're sending all these exotic blitzes. They're getting pressure everywhere. I mean, this defense is for real. They just keep proving. I, uh, and I don't know why this Eric Lewis guy doesn't get a job, like a head coaching job, why he was at the cornerbacks coach at Bowling Green. He did the same thing at Georgia State randomly for two years. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Brian Van Gorder, what a joke. So, I don't know Akron scores. Bowling yeah. Green defense is real. It's not like they've done it against directional FCS schools. These are legitimate stats. They're seventh in passing down success rate. I mean, that shows that if Akron gets off schedule, it's going to be the end of the drive. There's going to be a ton of punts in this game from Akron. Bowling Green passes 58% of the time. So, but covering this number, I mean, 14 and a half is a lot, really. I mean, I projected at 12, 14 and a half could be a lot. I'm not sure how Akron does a backdoor cover. I'm not sure if they're capable. The spread is, you know, one thing. The total is at 48. And, you know, I just have to wonder – should it be playing looking at it over here because these are two of the worst teams in the country at defending the run 
Bowling Green's been excellent at defending the pass. Akron's dead last in the red zone defense. I mean, they're dead last in standard out success rate on defense. I think the best thing to play is the is the Bowling Green team total over or the Akron team total under. I think both of those could hit. I don't like the 14 and a half, just the whole hook thing, the whole backdoor. Uh, so, yeah, this is a pro Bowling Green bet and they anti-Akron scoring points bet. There you have it, your two toilet bowls of the week. Um, all right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, we got Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. I do not think I will have anything. I missed my Arizona State number. I have some Arizona State money line tied in with some other pieces. That's my squad. Uh, give us one play or one look for Friday night. I, I think it could be blowout city for Arizona State against Stanford. Stanford's defense is near dead last in rushing success rate. Not good against Arizona State. The Sun Devils are second in the nation in standard down success rate, and Stanford is the exact opposite on defense, near dead last. Arizona State secondary is above average in coverage grading. They're 11th in passing success rate, and that's where Stanford gets all their explosive plays. So I think it could be a long trip for the trees off that win against Oregon. Hooray. You know, I'm going to wait to see if that number – I do see some money coming in the market on, Stan, on Stanford, possibly pushing it down to 12.5. At 12.5, I'm a buyer of the Sun Devils. All right, let's move on to second down, and let's talk our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. We are off the schneid. We hit last week. Yep. Both of us hit our money line underdogs. Um, this week, I don't. I think that you hinted at who you might take with uh, a little basketball <laughs> school. So yeah. I was thinking them too, but I won't. I'm going to go Wyoming. The Pokes against Air Force. They're catching six. Be a decent sized price. I think their defense can hold up here. They're coming off of a bye. We'll have this written up on MaxNetwork.com, the Action Network app. So I'm going Wyoming. Um, where are you going? As much as I would love to put it on Arkansas. I think I'm going to pivot to another SEC school. I'm going to go with LSU. Uh, it's just a it's a bad spot for Kentucky to try to get up after a win like that in Lexington. LSU is a one-dimensional team, but that one dimension is a passing offense, and Kentucky is excellent at shutting down the rush. Not so good at, at, at the pass, but what LSU has been able to do in the red zone is not being talked about enough. 11th and finishing drives on offense – scoring every single time that they've been in the red zone. And this is going to be a dink and dunk passing attack. It's going to be very successful and get the chains moved down the field. So I'm going to take LSU to win outright. All right. And before we get out of here, third down, let's talk our favorite bet of the weekend. Thought about going Iowa since this is an Iowa podcast. Uh, now you see the helmet behind Colin as well, uh, but I'm going Virginia tech plus one at home against Notre Dame. It's the spot. Notre Dame, you know, off a number of physical games in a row. They basically have their college football playoff hopes are now done. They travel to Virginia Tech, to Blacksburg on a Saturday night. Place will be rocking. Virginia Tech coming off of a bye, nurse some injuries. And uh, the matchup is also favorable as well. Uh, This Virginia Tech pass defense top five and pass defense success rate. They can contain this Notre Dame pass deck, which is all Notre Dame has since the Irish cannot run the ball. So I think Virginia Tech, which does have offensive issues, Burmeister and company will be able to do enough on the ground and through the air to get this victory. 
Great matchup, great spot. Give me the Hokies. Where are you going? Yeah, for my best bet this week, I'm going to go with the Oklahoma Sooners winning the Red River rivalry uh, down in the Cotton Bowl this week, going up against a Texas team that is having major issues on defense. They can't defend the pass, can't defend the explosive play that's on the ground and through the air. They're having a problem getting accustomed to the Pete Kwiatkowski 4-2-5 defense. That plays into the hands of an Oklahoma offense that's really getting it done on the run. As we said on the podcast here, they've made a lot of changes to their run blocking scheme that's helped. Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray, get off the blocks. Spencer Rattler, we don't know what's going on with the downfield passing, but if Caleb Williams, the blue-chip five-star recruit, comes into this game to play dual threat, that is going to tear the Texas defense apart, especially with the zone reads. I love Oklahoma in this game. Their defense is light years beyond what Texas has. They're going to be able to center in on Bajan Robinson, make this one-dimensional, and I'm going to take the Sooners, minus three. Best bet of the week. Boomer Sooner. All right, thanks as always, Colin, for joining me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Let's have another good weekend here. We will catch you all on Monday morning for the recap of the weekend and the week seven look ahead. I mean, we're starting to separate men from the boys. Looking forward to another great Saturday of college football. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review. I'll do some more giveaways on Monday. Make sure you... DM me any app feedback as well. If you're in Lexington on Saturday, yell for me, stagger in, buy you a drink, and we'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.